Thank you. Are we dismissed with everyone who needs to be dismissed? got the nursery going, got the kids' church going, so if the kids were not participants in this wonderful rendition of Silent Night, then their future go back there with the rest of the kids as well, too. <laughs> so today I'm going to be wrapping up this uh, short little series that we've been going through, uh, really detailing the word Emmanuel a little bit more, seeing it's a little bit less conventional that you would probably see in uh, in representation of of like a Christmas message, but realistically what we see is that the Christmas message fits in with the entire narrative of scripture. This is not just a singular kind of separate event that happens in scripture. This fits within the whole of what we see throughout the, the word. And so we've been going through God with us, what this means for God to be with us. And so uh, the first, very first week, um, you could put the, that next slide up there, I believe. Um, Actually, go to the one that says, that has the four different types, if you can do that. There you go. So the first week we did, uh, we talked about the hope, that Christ was the hope of the world. At the very beginning in the book of Genesis, we saw that there was a need for hope to enter into uh, the, the narrative because of the decision for Adam and Eve to listen to another voice and to obey that other voice. And what, that ha what happens to us in the midst of negating the voice of the Lord and having a relationship with him. And so we needed hope. And our hope is found in the, in the prophecy given by God about a savior that was going to come. And so our hope is in Christ as the hope of the world for our salvation. And then peace was the next one. And we kind of moved through what it meant for him to be the prince of peace and what peace meant for us truly in the midst of our lives and from the, the narrative of scripture. And then last week we talked about joy. That it was the joy of the Lord that, that even the, the representation of John and, uh, and, and just looking back in the different ways that, that Zechariah and, um, and Mary, how they both had different responses to the message that they were going to be given a great gift and what joy looks like in the midst of, of struggle and, and how joy is not happiness, but they do overlap. You can have happy moments in the midst of joy, but joy is not happiness. To where happiness doesn't define the fact that you have joy. Joy is actually consistently talked about in the midst of struggle. There's a lot of times where you don't just hear, I'm joyful because there's great things happening. Although that is a part of the narrative of scripture. But you also see that I consider it pure joy when I encounter various trials. Knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance. And so joy is something that actually transcends happiness. And then this week in the Advent calendar, if you're looking through the Sundays leading up to Christmas, Love is today. Today is the celebration of, of the love of God. And so let's read in Isaiah 7, 14. We've been in Isaiah 7, 14, and then again, Matthew. Um, so we're going to read there first, and then we'll go back into uh, the scripture for today. So Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. In Matthew chapter 1. Verse 18, he says this, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her in public to disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. 
because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will, he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so this week, what we're going to do is we're going to read through some of Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, now, as we, as we had the, the introduction in Luke chapter 1 of, of two different children that were supposed to be born and, uh, and what this was going to mean for the nation, and not just the nation, but the nations, plural, what this was going to mean for us, and the, the, the setup where John was going to pave the way, announced the coming of the Messiah. And then the Messiah was going to also be the one to, to create the opportunity of us also being the temple of the Holy Spirit, the dwelling place of God, specifically. And so, in Luke chapter 2, we see it starts in this way. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken out of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while uh, Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went... Uh, went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. This was, this was very important because, again, you see within the narrative, the biblical narrative of that, uh, that again, I mentioned from the time when, when David was wanting to build a place for the Lord and, and the prophet Nathan told him, he was like, hey, this is not something that the Lord has required of anybody, but it'll be your son that will also establish what the house would actually look like. And we, we know just from previous conversations that we've had that, that Solomon did fulfill this absolutely as, as a direct son of David. However, it didn't last. And that's what happens when a lot of times we have things that were man-built or man-created is that if it is sustained by man, it will not last for much, long, for much longer in, in the scope of eternity. And so if something is sustained by just an individual person, then that is not going to be something that sustains your faith or salvation. Your faith in a person can also diminish with just a, a swift action. We notice this in many things that are happening within the church today. You can see there's lots of different exposing and scandals and things like that that are happening within uh, prominent church leaders and figures. But realistically, who is our hope in? Who, who, who has our faith? That's right. It cannot be a specific leader. It cannot be a specific person. Uh, it even cannot be in, in a specific future hope of what could, could look like for potential opportunity within ministry or even job opportunities. It, it has to come in Christ. That even if I were to have nothing, I still would count it that I had everything because I have Christ. And so if that's the case, then I cannot have my hope found in a person. It cannot be in a specific figure. Even though the Lord may deliver wisdom and I may gain revelation from people, which is fantastic. If you look at all the different shortcomings of many different people throughout church history, you can learn many great lessons and valuable things from even their teachings. It doesn't mean that their words weren't true. It meant that that person was not my savior. And so I can still gain wisdom from people because the Lord can illuminate these things in my life and let me know that these are things that I need to deal with. These are things that I... I can be made aware of. This is great understanding that people can have. I can learn from people who are, who are in the secular world about history, about government, about business, about all types of things, and that's wonderful and fine. But 
they are not the people that I should put my entire hope in, lock, stock, and barrel, as far as who I am made after and made for. And so in each of these areas, we see that Solomon was a great king in the sense that he was able to establish many great things. He had great wealth. He is very business savvy. He was able to pull in lots of different resources and things like that. Extremely wise individual. However, in his wisdom, he was still fallible as a man and brought in idolatry as he uh, began to acquire more and more wives for himself and concubines. He began to bring in idolatrous worship. And in the midst of that idolatrous worship, it wasn't just his household that was brought into that idolatry. It was the nation of Israel. And that led them astray. And so Solomon was not the savior that they had looked for or that they had wanted. And so we see many of these iterations. We, we read in the, from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah specifically spoke in his mourning for the direction that Israel was going. And if you remember the very first time that we started mentioning Isaiah, the climate of, of the community and that, that there, were, there, were, um, uh, there were different people who tried, different prophets from the Old Testament narrative that had tried to curb Israel back into the place where they needed to. They tried to call them to repentance, but yet they did not move that direction. And Judea, being a separate kingdom, they just compared themselves completely to Israel, saying, I'm not as bad as them, therefore I feel like I'm okay. And comparing yourself to somebody else in light of, am I a, at least better than they are, is always the wrong move. It's always the wrong move. Because they are not the standard that we should be living up to anyways. So we can look at any kind of other ministry and you can value certain things that they have. You can, you can value different uh, methods, different things. It's amazing. I, I love to do that. I have great friends who are in various ministries and I try to glean as much as I can from them, learning what, what has worked and what has not worked for them. And it's a wonderful thing. But if I just look at them and say, am I doing better than, than they are? then I'm missing the mark already because then I'm not also living to a position of valuing them and wanting to call them up to a higher standard as well if they're not living up to the standard of holiness that we should be living in because we should be keeping each other accountable in the midst of the body. And so in looking at the way that this was lined out, you see and notice that man could not bring the quote-unquote utopia that they should be living in to where they can live up to a holy place. And because of that, we now see the narrative brought together where Joseph is in the lineage of David as well. And so he could also be called the son of David. And interestingly enough, um, he brought him to Bethlehem. If you know anything about Bethlehem, m much of this, this location is full of shepherds. Anybody remember Bethlehem from beforehand? Who is a prominent figure from Bethlehem? David. David was a prominent figure for Bethlehem. His, his house was established. He was a shepherd in Bethlehem. And so because of this, it's, it's very significant in knowing that it's not just sheep that they were raising, but they were sheep who would be made for sacrifice. So these were the sheep that they would also bring to the temple so that they could be sacrificed in their annual uh, place to receive atonement for their sins. <coughs> this brings a whole new level of significance an understanding as far as Christ being born, the spotless lamb, as he's also called, being born in Bethlehem, the place where they would prepare and have the sheep that would be sacrificed. And so Jesus, strategically through, through the, the, the divine um, sovereign hand of the Lord, maneuvering it where 
Joseph would also be his earthly father. And they would have to go to the census, for the, during the census, go to Bethlehem to have that done. And it was at the time that he was going to be born. That's significant. Otherwise, he would not have been born in, in Bethlehem if they were not to have a census at that time. Because he had to travel to Bethlehem for that census. And so he was born in Bethlehem to fulfill prophecies as well about the Messiah that was going to be born from that area. And then also, the fact that he was the spotless lamb that would go to the cross for us is significant for us to understand that, that God desires to not only dwell with us, to dwell in us, that God is with us, but he also prepared a way so that we can have that opportunity by giving up himself uniquely in this way. And verse 6 says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. It's always incredible to me. We talked about this last week, too. But how anytime an angel shows up, people are just terrified. Just absolutely in awe of the power, the wonder, the might, the, the surprise also. I mean, you're, it's nighttime, and all of a sudden, bam, there's a, a bright, shining angel. Intimidating as, as all get out, and then they're, and they're like, don't be afraid. You're like, <laughs> are you sure? <laughs> I'm pretty afraid right now. So he always tells them not to be afraid and that what the news that he was going to give was going to be something that would bring joy. So even in the midst of their feeling of fear, he was speaking a message of joy. So we can even have feelings of, of being fearful of what's to come, but the joy that is, is being delivered through the message and the hope that we can have within that message should actually transcend our fear to where we're not crippled and stay in the same place, but it causes us to want to go. And so he says this, Today in a town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They didn't sit there and create uh, 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 an altar, a memorial. They didn't set a whole, uh, a whole blog post about this one little event that happened in that current state. They didn't sit and, and ask each other questions about how many did you think that there were? Let's count. Were there any colors that you noticed? What, they, they didn't idolize that visitation. They said, this was the message they gave us. The Messiah is here. That was cool. Well, let's go. Let's go and make sure that this happens. I think it's in, in a, uh, a temptation of ours at times that whenever we have an encounter with the Lord, we, we, we can be tempted to overemphasize the encounter instead of understand the message that's been given within that encounter and what that means for us futuristically as well. What does that mean for us now? 
it's amazing that they were visited by angels, and I don't have any record of that being a regular thing happening in their lives, that they would just have angels occur, like repetitiously visit them at night. I don't know of that happening. It doesn't say anywhere in scripture that this was like a common thing. And so it doesn't appear that they made an idol out of this visitation. They took the message that the Lord had given them and they put action to it. What does this mean for us now that these angels came and visited us? It was great. It was awesome. It was wonderful. But I'm not going to just sit in this moment and feel like this is all that there is to have happen. And I'm just going to wait until the Messiah comes and visits me now. Go was the message. Go to Bethlehem where the Messiah is at. It's really interesting, too, whenever you look back and you see uh, historically and contextually what the setting of the birth of Jesus was. It's, it's not quite as what we portray many times in nativity scenes and things like that. I mean, it's, it's a great imagery that you have that there's like a little barn sitting right there and it's like out in an open field there's like nothing around and nobody's nobody's hanging out around there and it's like oh man it's this little rickety shack out here and all that stuff it's you know interesting to think about it that way but it's actually not accurate as far as the way that they would put things out and the way that their homes were established it was actually just like it was literally another room in the house it just wasn't set up for people to be able to sleep it was set for the animals to hang out so they would have a room in, in their house that they would have. So it's, it's almost, if you think about like a mudroom slash animal room set up, essentially, that's what it is, where you'd walk in. They didn't want the animals to, to escape. They didn't want them to leave the territory. They didn't want them to be stolen by anybody. So it was a specific place in the property that they would store these animals. And it, and it was still set up, and it was attached to the house, essentially, too. So it wasn't even like in this back shed in somebody's house it was actually connected to all the things because then they would be able to access it go up into their into their place from steps or whatever and they would be there they would they would be able to be at their house and they would be able to go out into that room just like you would have a garage you, you, know, you park your car in a garage it's in your house but it's not in your house you know you know what i mean and so it's like that was like their garage for their animals and so they were actually laid up in this place because there was no room in the inn for them to be able to stay. So they had to stay in another person's uh, garage, essentially. And so these shepherds had to go and find where they were located at, at this person's house, go find their garage where, where, they, were, where they were hanging out at and where the baby was going to be born. That was the location. Many people also believe that the manger wasn't actually like wooden, a wooden manger. They believe that it was like a, a, a stone, concreted, not really concrete, but it was stone, and it was, uh, it, was, it was a big just open space container that you would set, uh, like a lamb, or you would set an animal there that would prevent something from coming and like trampling over it or hitting it or harming it. And so it was more hardened, like a safekeeping space for them to be able to be held. And so these shepherds had to come and they had to find the Savior. The reason why I bring this up is because it's, it's not always as easy as looking for something wide open in a field 
and just knowing for a fact that that's where the Savior is at. There's a process sometimes that we have to go through in our going to get where we actually need to go. It's not always easy. Sometimes we, we, paint, we paint pictures when we look at Scripture that it was so much easier for people to be able to go and do things and to encounter things and to experience stuff. It's not simply that true. They didn't have GPS. So they couldn't like, yo, Joseph, drop me a pin, dude. I'll find you then. That'd be great. Send me your location. It's wonderful. Or you're at this Airbnb? Sweet. Let's go. I'll find you. It's awesome. Is it a five-star rating? Oh, some animals been living in there. Probably not the greatest. It's not always the easiest thing. The Magi, whenever they, whenever they were exploring and, and looking to find the Savior, they, they even encountered Herod and told him, dude, there's, these are some, this is the thing that we have discovered, that the Messiah is, is born. We're, we're here to, to find him. And merely them visiting Herod threatened the livelihood of the Messiah already in his infancy. Threatened his existence, because then Herod went to go kill all the babies because he did not want his feeling of godlikeness to be diminished by an upcoming Messiah that the Jews would then overthrow his ruling and reigning. And then the Magi, understanding what was getting ready to happen, that he was not excited, they went and left Herod. Sorry, Herod sent them over to go find him and they never returned to Herod. That was Excuse me, I was flipping that around. So they, so they left, left Herod, went to go find the Messiah. They followed a star. I mean, that's awesome, but a star doesn't just rest on top of a house either. These, guys, these people went through processes to go and find the Messiah. They had to find a baby in the middle of residential community in Bethlehem, in a city. That's no small task. But they were determined to find their Messiah. Emmanuel, God with us. We have the privilege of, of knowing that God can meet us at any place that we're at and, and, and help us go through whatever it is that we're experiencing. But do we put in the effort and the work to also co-labor with him to find out what it is that he actually wants for us? The angel said, go to Bethlehem and find the Messiah. They didn't give him the, the I mean, they gave him a little bit of a description, but it wasn't uh, the most in-depth and detailed. Take a left on, on, uh, on Goliath Street, and then you're going to take a right whenever you hit Herod's Avenue. And then, none of that. That wasn't, that wasn't ever delivered in there. And so what process are we willing to go through to find the true nature of what it is that God is asking for us right now? Salvation is a three-part word. Salvation, healing, and deliverance. And so in our salvation, Jesus is the one who gives us salvation. In our salvation, are we actually pursuing what it means for us to hear his voice, follow his voice, and, and to the extent and point to where we know that he is leading us to a place that is much greater than where we had just come from? And it may not be that, that we stay in that place, but it means that we have encounters there that's going to mark us in that process. Because the shepherds didn't... didn't visit Jesus and then go, okay, we live here now. This is the place where I'm staying forever. Jesus didn't even remain in Bethlehem. 
But that encounter where the shepherds were able to meet and see the Messiah right there. I can imagine how that marked them. The privilege they felt, the honor they, they felt. We saw the, the progression of Zechariah whenever he was in disbelief that him and his wife were going to have a child. They, they were in their older years, and there was no way. He thought that his wife was just going to be barren forever, and they would just be childless. And then the Lord shut his mouth. From that point until they were able to get pregnant, and then until they had the child, and then not just having the child, whenever they asked him what his name was going to be, when he obeyed the command of the Lord that his name was going to be John, his mouth was then opened up because he believed to the place of saying the words that the Lord had actually given him, declaring them. He wrote it down, and then it was proclaimed that his name would be John. He came into agreement with the word of the Lord, and then he was able to give God praise in the midst of all those things. He sang a song just like Mary sang a song. The moment marked him, and I can imagine, and you can see how the marking of that man in the midst of him being silent, not being able to speak at all, everybody knowing that there was something holy happening here. There was something divine, divinely um, instigated in this moment. The entire area was affected. Knowing that there was something happening in Zechariah that was going to lead to something even greater. So in anticipation, people were in awe as soon as his mouth was able to open up. And then he was able to prophesy and give God praise and glory. And so even the struggle that you go through, even in the, the times where you may have even said no to the Lord, or you maybe even didn't believe him, that as he was working through you, that message that you carry of working through all those things to where then as you step out in obedience, that message will be something that can transform people's lives and expectation for what's to come. So don't feel like your failures or your your mishaps or, or short steps or misgivings are things that are going to define you forever. Zechariah was a priest and he was silent for quite some time. But then as his mouth opened, people listened. And they heard, knowing that he couldn't say a word, that as soon as he started speaking, they were attentive. They were listening. The shepherds were able to meet the Messiah. What a privilege. They hurried off and found Mary and Joseph. And the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. We'll go just a little bit further. On the eighth day, when it came time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. 
Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. This is a beautiful thing for us to behold here. First, because it doesn't just include the Jews. Did you notice that? He says this, I'm going to read it again, starting in verse 28. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. My eyes have seen your salvation. He was talking about Jesus as the one who is salvation. Jesus is salvation. This is something, I was talking to a friend of mine. I'm getting ready to teach another class for the undergrad program, Family of Faith Christian University, and I'm teaching inner healing for this section of classes. And in this section, um, I'm having different interviews with some friends of mine to kind of talk about this, uh, this specific topic itself. And, and uh, I was talking to one of my buddies. He's a, he's a licensed um, counselor, therapist. And we were going through the, the, the topic of how many people that he sees, they just look for a pill to be the thing that solves all the problems. They want to maintain the lifestyle they have, take a little medication, and then make all things good by just taking that pill. And he was like, look, medication, is, it helps for certain things in getting you to a place of being able to deal with your issues. He was like, but if you don't ever change your lifestyle and the things that are actually causing you all of this grief, anxiety, depression, all that stuff— then this pill will only add to the things that you're experiencing. It will not solve the things that are going on. And so we, he, was, he was even talking about it. We were saying that salvation is a person. It's Jesus. Freedom is not a finish line. You don't just get freedom. You walk through the finish line and go, boom, now I'm just doing whatever I want to now because I'm all good. I don't need Christ anymore because, bam, I got set free. I'm starting over. That's it. No, it's in Christ is where you have your salvation. In Christ is when you encounter your healing. In Christ is where you can be made whole. In Christ is the only place that you can be to encounter everything that you need so that as you go through times and struggles and different things like that, when I am weak, you are made strong, right? So it's not when I'm weak, you give me this supernatural steroid, and then now I get to be get pumped up just like I could be Popeye, and I get to pop my, my spinach real quick, and then bam, now I get to defeat the enemy because now I'm strong in the times that I was weak. The gospel isn't spinach. You are not Popeye, okay? I am not Popeye. There's no way that I can do this on myself. There's no way that I can make these things happen just through my own knowledge or my own— it, Man's knowledge could be fickle, and it could be— be wonky, and it could lead you into all types of different deception, and it could cause you to manipulate people. It would be very easy for us to do that. As a human, every one of us are capable of being able to walk into those areas because we have flesh, and outside of Christ, we lean towards selfishness. 
So it doesn't matter who we are, whether if it's Pastor Zach, whether if it's anybody else in the world, but I can just speak from experience. If I am living my life outside of Christ, then it's very easily corruptible. Very easily corruptible. But Christ being the salvation means that when I'm weak, I notice that he is stronger than I am. And so it makes it that much easier for me to lean into him as my salvation. Because he doesn't heal me. The, the, the word says that I'm grafted into the vine. And so it doesn't say that he then restores me as a branch and then sets me up as a tree. So I'm self-sustained now. He says, I'm the branch grafted into the vine, so I need the vine for nutrients and life. Outside of the vine, I am the same as dead. I'm cut off, and I'm burning, and I'm corrupted. And there will be no fruit coming from me. And so he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. Looking at Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. A light for revelation to the Gentiles to bring them up, to illuminate them to the necessity of a Savior who is greater than any of the gods they could serve. Which, in all actuality, every time anybody uh, sought after the attention of the gods, it was only to glorify or self edify themselves. They would sacrifice to a God, no matter how gnarly and gross and grotesque it may be so that they could receive something for themselves. However, all Jesus wants is for you to give him your life and all that you do, which would lead to purity and holiness, not self-centeredness. So it's a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that it will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. I could go on and on here, but what I will do is I will delay that the, the Lord was so loving and so gracious that he also introduced people to the Messiah before he would ever do one miracle. Before he would walk into the temple and even as a boy speak of the wisdom of scripture, before he would show up at a wedding and turn water into wine, before he would see people who were demonized get set free. Before he saw people who were sick and diseased be made whole. Before he saw a man who was dead and brought him out of the tomb after many days of being in there. Before he walked on water before he calmed seas. Before he multiplied food. Before he preached any sermon. 
because it's not in the deeds that caused him to be the Messiah. Come on, hear me on this. It's not in the miracles that caused him to be the Messiah. He didn't have to earn the title Messiah. He was the Messiah. He is the Messiah. God with us. God sent the Messiah to come to earth. And it took some convincing for us to believe that. But it didn't change the fact that he still was the Messiah before people believed that he was. And so regardless of what's going on in your life right now, the things that I could be encountering right now in my own life, just because I don't see a miracle in this right now, maybe I haven't seen the healing completed. Maybe I haven't seen the restoration that I've so desired for. I know that if I am in him and he is in me, then I have all that I need right now. And my hope is not in the miracles. My hope is in Christ. My faith is not built upon the sheer fact that he is capable of doing something, and so now I'm going to be ticked off until he actually does it. Well, Merry Christmas, guys. My hope is found in the one who is salvation. My hope is in the one who is healing. He doesn't just provide healing. He is healing. My hope in the midst of struggle is that he walks with me in the midst of that. Just like he walked holding the cross migrating it from the from the location of the prison all the way up to Golgotha. He walked in suffering. He walked in grief. He walked in rejection. He walked in the midst of those things and then was hung up on a cross on display. There was no miracle in view there to many people who saw that. But it didn't make him any less Messiah because they saw physically that it looked like he was defeated. If he's not done now, it means he's not finished yet. If you're not dead now, he's not done yet with you. He's the Messiah. As we see, that's what I love about the Gospels is it doesn't just say there was a man who showed up out of nowhere. We don't know anything about him beforehand, but we just know that he was here at 30 years old. And he started doing stuff. It's crazy. No, we saw that even in his infancy, even as a baby, even in, in, in the process before he was even in Mary's belly, this was prophesied about. That the Lord was preparing the hearts of man to be ready for the Messiah who will come and prepare a place for them. Which is causality for me to understand that again, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. 
if he truly is my shepherd, then I realize that even in the midst of what seems to be the worst, he is still my shepherd and I don't lack anything in the middle of that. Because if he is salvation, then it's not my circumstance that reminds me of, sal- of his salvation. It's not a check that he writes and then all of a sudden I get to cash it and use it and then once it's gone, it's gone. He, the person, is salvation. It wasn't an exchange of funds. It was an exchange of life. He gave his life and rose from the grave and he's not dying at all. He's alive and will forever be alive. He rose from the grave and is alive eternally, overcame death, hell, and the grave. And so what that means for us today is that we have the hope and we get to celebrate the joy of our salvation who was born, who was shown that it wasn't just the moment that Mary conceived. It was from the foundations of the earth that we know that God is with us. We know that God is for us. He desires for us to be with him. He desires for a place to dwell in us. He desires for us to be with him in all things. We just have to make sure that we're pursuing him and the message that he's, give, that he's given us. The shepherds hadn't seen the Messiah yet, but they were very excited to go and meet him. They left all the things they had there to go and find him. And so I wonder in this holiday season, could we also be in a place of excitement, not, not just for the the wonderful holiday decorations, which I love Christmas decorations. It's my favorite, favorite season of the year. I love Christmas time. But not just in the holiday decorations, not just in the time off that you may get, not just in the ability to, to hang out with people and to make some great food. That's wonderful and, and, and amazing. But, but can we remember in the pursuit of our lives right now that he came and he gave us directive to continually seek him and find him? That in all things, if I feel like I'm still walking in sin, then where are the areas that I'm lacking in currently that I've not pursued him in that area of my life? I lack nothing. And so if I'm, lack, if I'm, if I'm operating out of, out of a place of lack, then where have I not allowed him to touch in my life? Where have I not allowed him to meet me? Ther- uh, uh, I think it's um, Teresa Rapala. Avila, um, St. Teresa of Avila, she, she has a, a work called um, your, your Internal Castle, I believe is what it's called, Your Internal Castle. She talks about our lives, our souls being like a diamond castle, and it could only be shown if you allow the light to enter into all the rooms. And so if there's a darkened area of your internal castle, it means that you haven't allowed the light of the Lord to illuminate that area. That we've hidden and we've locked up those doors, not allowing him to illuminate that section so that we could be displaying his glory in the fullness. And so this is something that we can really concentrate on. Again, not a very conventional Christmas message, but I think it's important because it's easy for us to go through seasons and times and not recall and relay the fact that there are some moments in our lives that we are in, in fucks with. There are some times where we may be uneasy, and then what do you do within the uneasiness of those feelings during a holiday season that's supposed to be cheerful and joyful? Again, the understanding of joy has to be within view. 
the joy that was set before us, knowing that this baby, when Mary gave birth to this baby, that that baby would also have to go to the cross. The weightiness of hearing the coos of a little baby, but knowing that baby's going to have to suffer exponentially. The thought process of the things that that baby would have to go through and, and encounter and experience but knowing the waves that would actually set us in motion to receiving the purity of salvation to where it's not just a religious activity we walk into but it's a knowingness and it's a reality and an understanding that jesus is my savior jesus he is my strength he is my hope he is my joy man will fail but god will prevail and so as he asks us things to do and to go for and, and, and areas of our lives to pursue after and to, to find out what's going on truly, will we say yes to that message that's given to us? Will we say, I will go, or will we just sit and wrestle that the fact that he saw that there was something inconvenient inside of us? The Lord is faithful and true to walk us through every single thing that we can encounter and experience. He is the joy of our salvation. It's not just a little pill that you get that now you're saved, everything is smooth sailing, you're good to go now. It's a process we get to walk into to find out what it means to be in him and for him to be in me. And so let's stand this morning. I don't want to keep us too much longer. It is Christmas Eve, and I know that there's lots of things people like to do around these, these days. So um, I want to encourage you that the Lord is, is, the Lord is, is pleased with the pursuit in him. Even in your wrestling, the Lord is pleased. Even as you struggle and you kind of sit in uncomfort and discomfort, he's pleased in the midst of that. He's, he doesn't shy away from you encountering inconveniences and, and, and ill feelings and having to wrestle with thoughts and things like that. He, he doesn't shy away from those. He's happy that you are willing to walk through those areas. That just like the shepherds that had to go and find Jesus, it's, it's important for him that you also go and search and seek after what it means to follow after him. And so let us be like the shepherds who understand what it is, the significance of the spotless lamb being born in, in Bethlehem. And that he was raised to, to live a life that was not just holy, but it was, it was the marking of what holiness looks like. And that he didn't just live a holy life, but he came and he died. He experienced everything that we could have ever experienced in life. He experienced temptation and submitted himself to the Lord. He experienced rejection by man and still leaned on the Lord, even in the stressors of knowing that he was being rejected and the anxiety of, of feeling the weightiness of, of the sacrifice he was about to make, he still went to the cross and said yes. He followed after his father's voice in the same way that we're called to follow after the voice of our father. And so will we also be the ones who follow in the steps of Christ by listening to the Lord's voice and asking him what he is requiring of us in this moment. And so Holy Spirit, thank you so much for your provision in our lives. Thank you that you don't shy away from our hard moments. Thank you that, you that you ask us to go on a beautiful journey and that, 
and that we're not looking at finish lines right now. We're looking at just a continuous journey with you. We're looking at following in your steps. We're looking at walking side by side with you. We're looking at, at making sure that we don't turn to the right or to the left away from your, your, your desires for us. We want to hear your voice clearly and accurately, and we want to be able to walk out what it means to obey you in those needs. And, and Lord, we don't want to just uh, act like we're just foot soldiers just out doing things, but we also want to know that we're your sons and daughters. And we want to be able to have those moments of, of, of healing and wholeness that you're not just out here using and abusing, but Lord, that you actually desire us for, for us to be made whole and to be made well. And so Lord, I pray for all of those who are dealing with anxiety and depression in this, in this moment right now. Lord, for those who are dealing with the stressors of the holiday season, Lord, I just pray that your peace rests on them right now in Jesus' name. I pray for those who are sick in their body, Lord, the things that are, that are ill or that are not right within there, Lord, I just, I just call those things into correction right now in Jesus' name. And I ask you, Lord, to just do a great work. Jesus, you are the healer. So I pray right now and I ask you, Jesus, to, to move in their bodies right now in Jesus' name. I pray for any of, uh, of the future conversations that will be happening either tonight and tomorrow and throughout the rest of the weeks. Lord, around this holiday season, that you would just breathe your peace and restoration in the midst of those things, that your wisdom and clarity will be able to be voiced, and that ears will be open and willing to hear and understand, and that there could be joy even in the midst of the struggle and the difficulties. So we pray, Lord, that, that you would illuminate joy to us in the middle of these things. And I pray for those who are struggling with, with habits and behaviors that are, that are inconsistent with your holiness, Lord. And I just pray that you consistently Show them where they are experiencing lack and where they can have fullness in you, Lord. And so I pray that you do this in all of our hearts, every single one of us, Lord. I need this as well, to be, to be illuminated in the places where I feel lack, knowing that in you I lack nothing. So, Father, be with us. Thank you that you are with us and continue to move in our hearts. We love you and thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name I pray and everybody said. Amen, amen, amen. Merry, Merry Christmas.